Well, I don't know about you guys, but the memories I most easily recall basically fall into two categories. The first is facepalm moments. You know what I'm talking about? Those facepalm moments, you know, when you just take your hand and you put it to your face and you're like, what was I thinking? I, I actually can't believe that I did that. Like the time where I thought it would be a really good idea to throw gas on a bonfire. And so as I did, yeah, as I did that and stepped back to watch my handiwork, I didn't realize that the gas can that I was actually hanging on to as well was actually on fire too. Or, or, or that time that uh, I thought it would be really cool to take boulders and place them on railway tracks. Yeah, see, I, I get a mixed review with that. It's like, uh, not really funny. Uh, like, really, that's really stupid. Um, and I know it is. It's a facepalm moment. Yeah, I thought it'd be really cool to put these boulders on railway tracks only to be showered in shattered stone that were traveling at me as fast as the train was as I was running away from the tracks. Like I said, facepalm moments, those moments when I, I just know, what was I thinking? Why did I even try that? But the second category of moments uh, in, in my life I refer to as one-day moments. One-day moments. These are the special ones, like the one day in November 1993 when I realized that Janelle was the girl I was going to marry. And so I leaned over to her as we were snuggling on the couch, and I said to her, I love you. Guess what she said to me? I love you too. 95%. How do you love someone 95%? I still haven't been able to figure that. Just so you know, it's been 20 years. We're at 100% now, all right? So, um, yeah. Um, or, or the day in September 1997 when I looked down at my newborn daughter, Micaiah, and watched as her tiny hand pushed through her swaddling blanket, and then her little fist just uncurled itself as she reached up towards me. Or the one day in grade nine that I decided to commit my life to following Jesus, which ironically enough corresponded with one of my facepalm moments, but that's another story. You see, last week, Pastor Lucas talked about a one-day moment in the life of a paralytic in Mark chapter two, where his friends did whatever they could do to get him to Jesus. We talked about last week how one way in which we can be for the city is to do whatever it takes to get those in our neighborhoods uh, and our friends to a place where, just like the paralytic, they can experience healing from their own personal brokenness. You see, I believe this about all of us, that, we, in, in some, that all of us are broken in some way, shape, or form. But I also believe this, that all of us are created in the image of God. And so despite the fact that we are broken, we are also beautiful. And dudes in the room, you are too. So the first step to city transformation is to be willing to somehow get our friends to the feet of Jesus where we can experience restoration because the truth is this, is that any day could be somebody's one day. Any day could be somebody's one day. And we're actually going to look at another one-day moment in Scripture this morning. So if you can take the, your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 3, that's the passage that we're going to be looking at today. If you don't have your Bible here, that's okay. There's some Bibles in the seat back in front of you, and you can just take those and, uh, and open those up to Acts 3. And if uh, you would rather not do that, this, the Scripture will be on the screen, as always, behind us here. So Acts chapter 3, starting in verse 1. It starts off with one day. 
One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer, at three in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. Look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ Christ of Nazareth, walk. And taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. You see, when we come to these miracle stories in the Bible, we tend to do one of two things. For some of us, we subconsciously dismiss them. We think that happened back then, but it doesn't really happen now, and so we downplay or gloss over these stories thinking, wow, that was cool. But then we jump to something in our Bibles that fits more with our rationalist scientific worldview, like like the book of Romans. For some of us, we swing to the other side of the pendulum and we get lost in the miracle, wondering why we don't see more of God working in this way. And so start to study the stories for clues on how to reproduce the conditions. Our hope is that if we get it right, we will see these miracles happen again in our midst. The problem with both of these perspectives is that they miss the point. They miss the point of why the miracle stories are recorded for us at all. So why do the biblical authors record these miracle stories? Well, you're gonna have to track with me a little bit because we're gonna jump around and look at some scripture that's actually uh, not the one that we're looking at today. But basically where we need to start is this. We need to understand that Jesus came to inaugurate a kingdom. All right, Jesus came to start a kingdom. A kingdom that was characterized by the restoration and renewal of all things. In Luke chapter 4, verses 16 to 21, we find this, and it's up on the screen behind me. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, the Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Today, 
this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. You see, the quotation that Jesus reads from Isaiah 61 speaks of a one-day moment for Israel. One day her Messiah would come for her. One day her Messiah would step into her brokenness and restore her fortunes. It speaks of a new day of healing, a new day of hope. When Jesus says that today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing, he is saying that the kingdom of God has come. It is in the here and now. It is not some place safe for us off in heaven. It is not some place other in time and space. The kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is among us. And the renewal and restoration that comes with that kingdom is here as well. And here's the thing. Jesus doesn't just talk about renewal and restoration. But he actually goes out and does it. You see, the renewal and restoration that come with the arrival of the kingdom of God now becomes the mission to which Jesus gives himself. You see, every miracle story, every restored life in the gospel bears witness to the fact that this new day of the kingdom of God has arrived. It's arrived. And when we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we are praying for the renewal and restoration to happen right here. Right here among us. So, what would it look like? What would it look like if we committed our lives to living out the mission of Jesus? This mission of the renewal and restoration of all things in every aspect of our lives. What would that look like? Let's think about that for a second. I mean, let's think about it um, as individuals. What about our thoughts? What about our thoughts? How would the mission of, this mission of renewal and restoration relate to our thoughts? What does it mean to experience this renewal in our restoration and thoughts so that our minds become renewed as well? What about our diet and exercise? There's an interesting one. How does the kingdom of God affect our diet and exercise? I, I don't know, is there anyone else out there that has like a faith crisis every time you're sitting at McDonald's with the fast food in front of you and you're like thanking God for it? I, I, I mean, my prayer actually turns a little bit from thanksgiving more into survival. God, please help me to survive this heart attack that I'm about to force feed into my face. Um, but yeah, it's an interesting one to think about. It's an interesting one to think about. What about our dating habits? What if, our, what if we considered um, this mission of renewal and restoration when it came to our dating habits? You know, when I, I was a guidance counselor up in northern BC, um, taught uh, school there as well, and uh, so as a guidance counselor, I had tons of students in my office all the time talking to me about whatever. I mean, direction in life, uh, dating habits, whatever else it was. And this one day, I had um, a, a student come into my office and... Um, we were talking a lot about what was going on. He was excited about this new relationship that he had with this girl. And, you know, he told me, he said, hey, yeah, like, um, you know, I, I, I've been reading my Bible and, and figuring it out and, you know, working through some stuff. And, and he says to me, I, I think that it's okay for me to actually sleep with her. I've, I've, you know, I crossed all the, the T's and dotted the I's, and I, I think it's okay for me to sleep with my girlfriend. And I was sitting there, I'm like, oh, wow, okay, you know, explain to me why. And he started going on and explaining things to me. And as I'm sitting there, I'm thinking, man, what, what, what is he thinking about? 
How is he justifying this? Because the problem here is that I knew his girlfriend. She'd actually been in my office talking to me about dating habits and things like that. And the thing that I discovered about her as she shared what was going on in her life with me was that the only way that she actually felt love and security and acceptance from a man is when she slept with him. And so now I have this guy in my office that's saying, yeah, man, we're good. It's okay for me to sleep with her. And he has no idea that the thing that he thinks he's doing in love to her is actually destroying her. It's actually contributing to her own sexual brokenness. And I'm thinking, man, how can you justify this? How can you justify that when you know that what you're doing is actually hurting someone else? And so what would happen if we viewed those we were dating as beautiful but broken and made it our mission within the context of our dating relationships to not add to the brokenness of another but to help restore them to the person that God has created them to be? How about our career choices? How would they change? What would be the questions that we would ask ourselves? What would be the criteria that we would use to actually choose our career if we were living for the renewal and restoration of our city? If we bought into the mission of Jesus? What about our financial decisions? How would those, would change? How would those change? How would they be affected? If we think about our families, parents, if the mission of Jesus is about renewal and restoration, how would those difficult conversations go? Or how would they change then with, with your kids? How would you help them understand what the kingdom of God looks like? What about your neighborhood? What, like imagine what your neighborhood could look like if you and the families on your street or in your condo were committed to living out the mission of Jesus. How would your neighborhood be transformed? Think about this on a global level for a second. I mean, we have this election that's uh, going on to the south of us, and I keep thinking, can you imagine if the U.S. presidential election, if, if, if all the parties involved in that were committed to the renewal and restoration of their nation according to the kingdom of God? Think about, think about how that would change the rhetoric that we hear. It wouldn't be destructive. It wouldn't be destructive. It would be restorative. You see, this is the kingdom of God. It's not somewhere out there. It's here right now. And so in Acts 3, Peter and John just aren't doing a trick. They are seeing the kingdom of God come in the here and now. This one day moment points to a new day. Not only do they see the kingdom of God unfold in front of their eyes, but they are part of making it happen. They are part of making it happen. And we can too. But it requires one thing on our behalf. It requires us to step into the brokenness of our world. It requires us to step in and then actively pursue restoration and renewal. You know, I was reminded of this the other day as I was sitting on my front porch in my Muskoka chair with a cup of coffee in hand, just soaking up the last bits of summer. And as I looked across my street, 
There was uh, one of my neighbors who I hadn't met yet who was struggling with this uh, queen-size box spring trying to get it into the dumpster that was on his driveway. And so I left my cup of coffee and, uh, and walked across the street and just out introduced myself, said, hey, I'm Dave, I'm just, you know, a neighbor across the street here, I saw you're kind of struggling with this, can I, can I give you a hand? He's like, well, yeah, sure. And I said, well, is, is there anything else I can help you with? He's like, yeah, we're, we're going to go grab some other stuff. And so I went in, he, he took me into, a, into the house and uh, I saw that it was being cleaned out and he says, yeah, we're, I'm getting ready to sell the house. I said, oh, really, is it yours? He's like, no, it's actually the house that my brother and uh, my mom lived in. And I'm like, oh, your brother and your mom? He's like, yeah, he's like, my mom just uh, recently died of cancer and my, uh, um, my brother before that just died of ALS within the last six weeks. I said, man, that's tough. He's like, I know. He says, actually, to make it worse, uh, I had another brother pass away from cancer in February. I'm sitting there, like the brokenness that this guy is experiencing, the pain and the grief and the turmoil he's experiencing in his life. And there's an opportunity for me to actually speak renewal, to speak hope, to speak healing into him. It started me thinking about the other conversations that we've had in our neighborhood. And I, I came home from work one day to see my wife talking with our neighbor that, that uh, lives next door to us. And, or, uh, and uh, you know, I, I could tell that something was really bothering her. And I, I overheard part of the conversation. They were talking about their oldest daughter who, you know, for all intents and purposes in grade 11 was like a great student top of her class, actually, in an enriched program, you know, kind of had the, the tiger by the tail, the world at her fingertips. She was ready for grade 12 to get out in the world and to, to do something. The problem when grade 12 hit is that she was experiencing some inner brokenness herself. And so she ended up failing grade 12 and not graduating. And as my wife probed a little farther, we found out what the issue was here. I mean, inside, she'd been grappling for years with trying to understand who she was as a person. What did it mean for her to be a woman? Because her struggle was with her own sexuality. And she'd been struggling for years about how to tell her family that she was actually a lesbian. And that inner turmoil and that inner brokenness that she was experiencing just turned her life right upside down. And it was funny because, oh, it's, it's not really funny, but on the, 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 the house next to them, you know, we uh, uh, were getting to know that neighbor a little bit, and we discovered there uh, that his daughter uh, graduated with uh, my daughter this year at, uh, at, at the high school they're at. And uh, I, I say daughter, and I, I kind of hesitate a little bit because um, she's actually part of the, the transgender community. So I sit there on my street and I think about all of these places, all of the brokenness, all of the struggles that these students have gone through in trying to find out who they are. I think about the struggles of my neighbor across the street with the grief that he's experiencing as he manages the pain and the loss of loved ones. I think, wow, you know, how, how does the kingdom of God come there? I mean, what does it look like? What does renewal and restoration look like in my neighborhood? And I'll be honest with you, I, I actually don't know. I don't know. But I do know this, is that as I step 
towards the brokenness that I find in my neighborhood. And as we step towards the brokenness that we find in our neighborhoods and communities and cities, that we bring with us the renewal and the restoration that comes with the kingdom of God. We bring with us the hope and healing that we've experienced in Jesus. You see, because this one day, this one day in Acts chapter three actually points us to a new day. It points us to the reality that the kingdom of God is here and that healing and restoration and hope and renewal can actually happen. So like I said, this one day points to a new day, but it also points to a new way. You see, the interesting thing about Acts chapter three is this, is that this one day moment actually happens under the shadow of the most powerful empire on the planet. As I was thinking about this passage of scripture this week and thinking about John and Peter as they walked towards the temple that day, as they walked there, they would have seen all around them the vestiges of an empire. They would have seen uh, the soldiers. They would have seen the banners. They would have seen the flags. They would have heard the music. They would have seen all, all of these things that were associated with, with the empire, and it would have reminded them that they are subject to someone else, that they are not their own. They're slaves to an empire. You know, and as they actually entered the, the temple that day, they would have been reminded as they walked up to that, that, that structure that took over 40 years to be built that the, uh, the person that actually built that temple, who's responsible for it, was King Herod one of the most brutal tyrants to ever rule in Palestine. In fact, Herod was so hated by the people of Israel, and you might know this already, that when he died, he had arranged for people who were loved in the community to be killed went, went on the day of his death, just so that there would be people who mourned him or mourned on that day that he died. That's what kind of guy he was. And so Peter and John are walking up to these places that represent the power structures of the day. And as they walk into these power structures that Peter, uh, it's in the face of these power structures that Peter and John walk without even enough change to provide a meal for this paralyzed beggar. They don't even have two coins to rub together. But in Acts chapter three, Peter says this, silver and gold I do not have but what I have, I give you. This tells me one thing about the kingdom of God. It's not built in the same way as the empires of the earth. It's not built by wealth and riches, greed and corruption. It's not about power grabs and climbing the ladder. Rather, the kingdom of God points us to a new way of living, one that's not about the bottom line, but is actually about descending to the bottom to become the servant of all. You see, the new way of the kingdom is not just doing whatever it takes to get people to the feet of Jesus like we talked about last week, but it's, it's also aligning ourselves with the restorative mission of Jesus. It's about, putting all, it's about all of us putting our hands in the middle and giving whatever the situation requires in service to others. It's like what Jesus says, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. We 
kind of get a picture of this, this life in the kingdom in Acts chapter 2, starting at verse 44, and it's going to pop up here on my screen, or the screen behind us. It says, all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. You know, I, I think we feel a certain amount of discomfort when we read this passage. Because when we read the part about sharing everything and having everything in common, about selling property and possessions and giving to those in need, we start to think, I mean, is this how we're supposed to live? Is this what we're supposed to do? So let me put you at ease. Uh, no. Well, yes. Um, well, may maybe. You see, remember, the new way of the kingdom is about giving whatever it takes in the service of others. But I don't want us to get lost here. I don't want us to get lost in the selling of everything and all that stuff. What I want us to look at is that what happened as a result of this early community all putting their hands in the middle and serving one another as they shared their resources and food and were radically hospitable with each other. It says this in Acts 2.47, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. You see, one-day moments happened every day. The result of this early community putting their hands in the middle and serving each other in mind-boggling ways is that they created space for, and opportunities for one-day moments to happen. They created space where these people were meeting Jesus every day. And guess what? As more and more of these, of these, uh, of these one-day moments happened, their city actually began to be transformed. In fact, because of this community in this one day moment where the paralyzed beggar met Jesus, it tells us in the next chapter of the story that this community grew to over 5,000 men. 5,000 men. If we add the women and the children, we're talking of a community over 10,000. That's 10,000 people in Jerusalem with stories of how one day they met Jesus. One day, they met Jesus. I started off this message sharing some of my one-day moments. But wouldn't it be cool if we started to hear stories of people who met Jesus with, one day, I walked into Bayview Glen Church. Or, one day, I bumped into this group of people in my neighborhood, and they were from Bayview Glen Church. That would be great, wouldn't it? Yeah, I, I heard one. I mean, can I hear some? Would that be great? Yeah, yeah that would be great. You bet it would. One day I met Jesus because I walked into Bayview Glen Church. One day I met Jesus because a life group in my neighborhood actually invested in my neighborhood and did something to help me. I mean, that'd be awesome. Why wouldn't we want that? Why wouldn't we want those one-day moments to happen? Totally should. You see, if we are going to create the space where one-day moments can happen, it's going to take more than a sermon and cool music. It's going to take all of us putting our hands in the middle and living according to the new way of the kingdom, a new way which calls us to give whatever it takes in service to each other. And when we get on mission together, 
We create space for one day moments to happen any day. Because we know this, that any day could be somebody's one day. Any day could be somebody's one day. When you came in to the service this morning, you were actually given a card that looks like this, a serve card. And uh, I want to talk to you a little bit about what we're doing here because if we want one day moments to happen in here, it's, it's an oper- or if we want ha- one day moments to happen in our city, we got to actually get on mission here. All of us need to put our hands in the middle and say, man, how can I be involved? How can I be involved in what my church is doing for the city? And so what I want to do is I just want to take this card and I want to go through uh, some, of the, uh, some of the teams here that, that you can be a part of so that when I ask you to fill this out in a moment, you're going to have um, a, a good sense of what you're actually signing up for. So if you guys can take those cards and you can look at me, if you want to start actually filling your name and email and phone number in there as I talk, that would be great because in a moment we're going to have the ushers actually come down the aisles here and collect these from you. So these are all the different teams that you can be a part of here at Bayview Glen. The first is, is Bayview Kids, and I'm going to put Bayview Kids and Bayview Youth together. How can we, you guys can sign up to be involved, to be part of the teams that actually minister to those children in our youth. Now, I've heard this, okay? I've heard people say, yeah, it's important that we minister to our youth and children because they're the next generation. They're the, the, the future of our church. I need to tell you this today that I actually don't agree with that. Yes, they are the younger generation. Yes, they will grow up and one day take our place in leadership. But the reality is is that they need to be discipled in the here and now. They need to know that the kingdom of God is here and they need to know how to live in it. They need to be invited to participate with us on the mission, the mission of renewal and restoration of our city. And so if you have a passion to, re- to, to teach children, if you have a passion to connect with them and help them understand what it means to be part of the mission of Jesus and part of what we're doing here at the church, I would invite you to check that box. Also, the next box there is our creative teams. All right, our creative team. We know that, uh, I mean, we, there's a lot of work, obviously, that goes into, into uh, our Sunday morning services. We got people who we need to run the slides, to do the tech, to, to play on the worship team, to actually, be, to actually produce videos. And we do all this, why? We do this because we feel it's important that we all come together and that we all worship God because we know that some of these one-day moments that we talk about that we hope to have happen at Bayview Glen Church actually happen in this room. People actually come to the front. People will give their lives to Jesus on Yes Sundays. And so their story does start with, yeah, one day I was at Bayview Glen Church in a worship service. And so if you want to be part of making that happen, if you want to be part of that creative team, I'm going to ask you to check that box as well. The next box there is the discipleship teams. That's my personal favorite because that's where our life groups fall into. All right, our life groups fall into our discipleship teams. You see, I, we, this year, right now, we have, I believe, it's 199 people in life groups and 26 groups that are stretched across the GTA. I want you to think about that for a second. If the mission of Jesus is about the renewal and restoration of our city, what better way to start with communities at Bayview Glen that are already planted in neighborhoods? Groups of people that are already concerned with bringing restoration there, to seeing that happen. You see, I I look at our life groups as we are on the front lines here. 
We are on the front lines when it comes to bringing renewal and restoration to our city. We are the ones that get involved in the neighborhoods. We are the ones that go out and pray and that walk around the neighborhoods and ask God, God, what are you doing here? What are you doing in our neighborhoods and how can we join you in it? That's what it is to be part of a life group. And you know what? You can be part of a, you can be a leader that actually facilitates that. I got more people on a waiting list than I can actually put in groups. And so we need people who are going to say, you know what? I got a passion for my neighborhood. I want people to come over and help me figure out what the kingdom of God looks like in my neighborhood, what renewal and restoration look like in my neighborhood. And so if that's you, I want you to check that box. And then the last thing that, the last team that you can be a part of here that we need uh, people for is our guest services team. And our guest services team kind of falls into three parts. We have greeters, and we have ushers, and we have our connect team. Now, our one-day moments actually here at Bayview Glen start at the front door. They start at the front door. I mean, if, if, you, if you showed up to church on Sunday morning and the person that greeted you at the door was like, hey, welcome to Baby Glen. I mean, would you come back? I wouldn't. So we need people who are gonna stand at the front door who are gonna be that friendly face and the firm handshake and say, you know what, your one day starts here. Thank you so much for coming to Bayview Glen Church and invite them to come in. And then we need ushers who are gonna be able to take them when they hit the doors of the sanctuary here and say, hey, you know what, we're kinda of full today. You need space for six? Come with me, I'm gonna take you down, I'm gonna seat you myself. We need people who are gonna be there to connect with those who come into our doors, who are gonna do what it takes to serve others. And the last group of people in that, uh, uh, that team that I talked about is our connect team. We're building a couple of new connect areas in our church that are gonna be awesome because we want everybody in our congregation to know where they can go to take their next step. All right, and our connect team is that group of people that kind of stands there in the connect area and as people come up with their questions and are wondering, you know what, I need, I, I think that my next step is baptism. Where do I go to get information for that? Well, you go to the connect team. You go there, I, I need information about joining a group. Where do I go? Well, you go to the Connect team. So the Connect team is important. If you are one of those friendlies that likes to connect with people and likes to help them understand what it means to take their next step, I'm gonna ask you to check that box. So, like I said, in a moment, the, the ushers are gonna come down the aisles and they're gonna collect those boxes for you, and I, or sorry, the cards from you, and I'm gonna uh, invite the worship team to come up, but I wanna close with this. My dad used to tell this story um, all the time, or to me, about three Italian stonemasons. All three were working side by side, fixing rough cut stones into place. And a passerby asked each one of them in, in succession what they were building. The first guy said, oh, well, uh, I'm, uh, uh, I'm, I'm building a foundation. The second mason said, oh, I'm building a wall. But the third guy said, I'm building a cathedral. I'm building a cathedral. You see, when we put our hands in the middle and serve together, we are not just building a community or a church, but we are building a kingdom. We are building a kingdom. And in doing so, we are creating opportunities for one day moments to happen. Why? Because we believe that any day can be somebody's one day. So if you guys can take those cards and the worship team's just gonna play a little bit, you can uh, fill them out uh, and then uh, the ushers are gonna come down the aisles and they're gonna collect those from you in a moment.
and then uh, we'll close out our service with a song.